I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. Here's the Fangirls on Jackalope Radio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and with me on his third uh, journey through this madness along um, with us all is my special co-host, Mr. Troy Dwyer. Thank you for having me again. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. And uh, this episode is very special because I survived Comic-Con. And that's something to actually be proud of considering I almost died on preview night when the horde of World War Z zombie-like geeks converged off of the uh, escalators and slammed me into a wall. That really happened. And this wasn't Godzilla coming out of the harbor? This wasn't Godzilla coming out of the harbor. Godzilla didn't actually come out of the harbor, unfortunately. That would have been oh. freaking sweet. Um, but what they did do with Godzilla was really cool, and I will um, go over that also at, um, when we get to talking about Comic-Con. Um, but uh, this episode is, as I said, very special because we have um, interviews with the doctor himself, Matt Smith, uh, Clara, uh, Jenna Coleman. David Bradley, who you may uh, be wary of as Walter Frey on Game of Thrones, but he is actually playing um, William Hartnell in the Journey Through Time and Space 50th Anniversary special film that talks about um, the origins of the Doctor Who TV series and actually shows us how it came to be. And also um, in these interviews is Mark Gaddis, who you may know as Mycroft Holmes on Sherlock, who also um, runs that show and helps co-write that show. Um, with Stephen Moffat, who we also have um, on this interview. And uh, Mark is pretty amazing. He is living out his childhood dream. Um, and if you see our, uh, go to fangirlmag.com, you can see our video interview with him uh, talking about working on Sherlock, as well as uh, how gleeful he is about working on Doctor Who. And uh, it's pretty amazing what this movie is going to teach us. Um, we're going to find out some stuff we never knew or may not have known uh, very well. And uh goes into detail about how Doctor Who came to be the epic 50-year-old uh, TV series that we love and uh, little things that you may not have known, how this pretty in- ingenious TV series um, made it. Um, I-, I don't know if, if you knew this, uh, Troy, but one thing that is a little piece of trivia, it-, it premiered the same day, I believe, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. <laughs> no, I did not know that. Um, so it was re-shown because a lot of people probably did not see it. They were glued to their screens for a lot more tragic of a reason. Um, but also, uh, just there wasn't a lot of budget, surprise, for Doctor Who. <laughs> there still isn't, right? Um, actually, they have a lot more than they did. I think one episode of this series as it is now probably would fund five seasons of, <laughs> of the original series. Um but uh, one of the ways they kind of worked around the budget, they knew they wanted to have him have a spaceship, but they couldn't afford a spaceship for, you know, like a big, elegant, you know, really cool looking thing, sort of like what we would eventually get in the Enterprise um, in Star Trek. But so what do we do? How do we have him have a spaceship? Well, why don't we make it a special spaceship that can change into anything? And OK, that's really a good idea. But but we can't afford to buy something new for it to be every episode. How do we do this? Um, I know it's broken. So it's stuck in one thing. And that's how we get the police call box. 
<laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> so this, so the show is kind of like a uh, like an inside baseball on how the Doctor Who came about, how it was written, that kind of thing. Well, no, it is an actual drama. Um, it is oh. a, a movie, and uh, David Bradley plays William Hartnell, the first Doctor, and you find out about William Hartnell's um, who he was as a as a person, not just as an actor. And you, Verity Lambert, and um, the rest of the people behind Doctor Who are played by actors. It's it's an actual sort of like a, a Madman era esque set uh, movie that is about the makings of Doctor Who. And when is this coming out this fall? Um, it is uh, going to be out this year. Um, I believe it may be airing in November. Um, November is a big month for Doctor Who. <clears throat> that is the actual 50th anniversary month. And that is the same month that the 50th anniversary special with David Tennant and Billy Piper returning and John Hurt playing the mysterious Doctor that no one knew about um, is going to air. And I believe it's airing that month as well. It's going to be that that month is a massive celebration of Doctor Who. And uh, also big news on that front, too, just FYI, uh, the 50th anniversary episode, the big one, is actually going to be the last 3D aired uh, property by the BBC until further notice. Also, it's the first time ever that this show is going to be simulcast worldwide. So if you're in South Africa... You're going to be watching it exactly at the same time as little me in Oregon and somebody in the UK because there is no spoiling going to happen. Everybody's going to watch it at the same time. So it might be three in the morning somewhere. Yes. How cool is that? that, That's pretty neat. It's very neat. And um, there's also supposedly still going to happen. Um, I'm not sure any of the details yet, though, if anything's been finalized. But the word was it was going to be shown in theaters. In 3D. Oh. Yeah. Guess what I'm going to be doing if that's... <laughs> Dragging me with you to go see it, probably. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, anyway, speaking of David Bradley and HBO, this kind of leads into our um, Week in Geek. And really briefly, I'm going to talk about True Blood because it really doesn't you know, garner much more than a brief mention anymore. <laughs> Is it, if you wa- is it that bad now? Well, this season's not as bad as the last couple of seasons have been. Um, painful as as it were, but uh, I don't. They've turned Sookie into the biggest skank on television, and she basically admitted it this season um, or this last episode. Um, really, the best part of the season and pretty much the best part of the entire series has not changed. Everyone else has sort of become these erratic characters that have, they, they're not the same throughout, but these sec, these supposedly secondary characters pretty much like in Buffy are the ones that have stayed the course, been really well acted and you care about them. And that is like Arlene Fowler on this episode. Um, she just was tragic. It was sad. It was, but it was poorly written in terms of logic. But the acting was well done. Um, but in her, in that storyline, and oh, yeah, we've are, I've already. There's been so many discussions on Facebook and on Twitter right now about this. It's kind of ridiculous. But um, my really quickly in tr- in terms of True Blood, the best part of this episode and the best part of this season, once again, Eric Northman. And, uh, and that's all credit to Alexander Skarsgård, who has stayed the course with the character, created this wonderful character who is so much like the books and actually has emotion. And when he when he turns it on in terms of that emotion with the strong warrior character, right, he's a Viking and he's lived thousand years and he's supposed to be the tough badass. But it's when he breaks that you really see the depths of this character and he just lost another of his family and he only has you know only a few people that he really really gives a care about in the world and he just lost his second one and it's a it's a painful scene it's really very sad and tragic and they um he nails it and uh it's really well done that is well done and that is why there should be a fantasia the series and screw the rest of them so are you saying that um, the acting on this show in a lot of cases is transcending the writing or are you saying that the 
sometimes well, the writing's good, it's not good. Well, I think that the writing in this episode, um, in some, it's just lazy and and not consistent, and that's really on um, Alan Ball, the the showrunner. That's why um, uh, you really need a good, consistent showrunner, and like people can say all they want about Russell T Davies in other ways, but the one thing that I I actually loved Russell T Davies' writing when he did Doctor Who, and he was consistent. Those characters, David Tennant's Doctor, all of that was very consistent and made sense, and there was logic. Um, True Blood has been chaotic, and anything that has diverged from the books, which is 90% of the show now, has been horrible. And so I blame the showrunners, I blame the writing but the actors like Alexander Skarsgård, who really care, it seemed like they really care. And from what I've been told at Comic-Con, from previous people that have seen him at Comic-Con, loves his fans, really loves this, um, what he's got going on with the show, loves every part of it. You can tell that because he actually brings his A-game to this and pulls out what could be hokey to a great level. So that's, that's what I take from True Blood. Okay. So um yeah, that's that's what I have to say about it. It it it's trash and everyone knows it, but there's such a thing as good trash and then there's bad trash. <laughs> and and what sucks about True Blood is it's right in the middle. It's mediocre trash. And I don't know if I'd want to be called that. I'd either rather be trash trash or I'm so trashy, I'm awesome. You know, it's like... like <laughs> You'd rather be at one end of the spectrum. Yeah, like Game of right? Thrones is so trashy, it's awesome. Um, it knows what it is. True Blood, I think, has some sort of snide pretension about it that it thinks it's it's sort of like Twilight. It thinks that it's above its genre or something. Or maybe it, it does know that it's trash, but at least make it fun trash instead of this, you know, come on, guys. There's some talent there. You need to use it. Um, well, it's kind of a shame for me because I've I've never actually seen any of the shows, and so now I'm not really that excited about you know one day picking up like the first season and watching it through if I know it's not going to end well. You you won't like it. Okay. <laughs> you won't like it. I mean, it, it for thank, me. Thank you for the warning. I'm a vampire fan, so I'll pretty much watch anything if it's a vampire just because I'm a completist. Um, But I don't like it when my favorite monster is abused and um, or treated treated without at least some level of care. And I've actually gotten into it before with a director who actually emailed me. I don't know if, I, if I've ever told you this. I had a director of a movie that I shall not name um, that emailed me after I'd had the review of his horrible film up for a good year or two on Fangirl. And he emailed me, and I think he thought he would um, muscle me into, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that your movie sucked. Was this? Uh, did this movie rhyme with Acula Uthausen? No, I liked Acula Uthausen. <laughs> Screw you, Gerard Butler. Yeah. Um, no. Um, this Scottish was a, vampire. Uh, this was a, a a movie that should have been good with who was in it, and it wasn't. And I made no bones about it. So when the guy emailed me and he was like, you, and I actually did use this phrase too, so I'm not ashamed to say it. He said, you described it as a flaming piece of dog flop. I would like to know why. <laughs> <laughs> and so I proceeded to write a two-page email to him regarding why I thought his movie was a flaming piece of dog flop. Oh, I thought you maybe used the two pages to describe what that meant. No, 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 no. No, I'm not that snarky. But I think he thought that he was going to, like, intimidate me with the fact that, oh, I'm a director, and by God, you blah, blah. I'm like, no, you're the director. It's your job to make a good product. And I'm, I am very um, passionate, and uh, I'm protective of my favorite 
breed of monster. And when you treat them poorly, I get mad. Well, thank goodness you're not a zombie fan. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> At that point, poor zombie people. I, I'm one of them, too. But, man, there ain't no winning with that one anymore. It's everywhere. Um, so, anyway, that's True Blood. We've wasted enough time on that. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, so the news came out this week that, um, and Troy, you'll be you'll be happy about this. Uh, John Williams is in fact going to score episode seven. That's going to be great. That will be very very awesome, and I hope he he. Uh, I, I think it would be great if if he actually uses the original music, and and actually integrates that into the into the score. Because um, I don't think I, I like it when they do that kind of thing. I, I think it's a nice little piece of of uh art when they can do that and i I think basically fans are going to expect you know your star wars music right when it starts oh yeah i i would hope so i i would love for um i don't want that to change and i would love for them to like work in the actual themes and and the characters and things that they used to use because um even though duel of the fates still yeah that's pretty cool probably the coolest thing the best thing to come out of those movies, I think. And Ray Park. <laughs> and Ray Park. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's great news for fans, and I'm very excited about that. So it just means that Abrams is going to kick ass. I'm, I'm really, really stoked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're all excited. We are. It's going to be a uh, a sane person's take on Star Wars. <laughs> really? Yeah, so, I, I think so. Someone who, who can take criticism and actually listens to people around them. That's kind of a nice Different. Yeah, and and makes for an entertaining experience. I, I I don't think anyone who's seen the new Star Trek movies has ever said that they weren't entertaining movies. They I'm might not, not be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> they might not be, uh, you know, what they expect from a Star Trek movie. But I think I think what we're going to get with Star Wars is going to be what we've needed for quite some time. A good movie. A good movie. That's all we want. <laughs> That's exactly it. So we don't want a re-release. We don't want it in three D. We just want a good movie. Yes, and and everybody's coming back, and it's that's going to be great. Um, uh, now moving on to um, one thing that I'm very glad to hear about, um, and actually ties into True Blood. Um, back, I think it was like two or three years ago at Comic Con, there was a trailer and a panel for a movie called Knights of Bad Astum. <laughs> Laugh if you will. This movie looked awesome sauce. And remember when Mario Van Peebles had to fight the MPAA to oh, get to get his movie Badass made because ass. it had the word ass in it, so he made and it ass. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of S's. Starring Dirk Benedict. <laughs> um now I guess now they can they can have kick ass, they can have badass them. I wonder if you should go back and retitle this movie. I no, because the extra S's were great. I, I like the ass. <laughs> so tell so t- so tell me about this badass. So Knights of Badassdom was it, the, the panel was hilarious. So who all's in this is Ryan Cotain from True Blood, Peter Dinklage, Summer Glau, Steve Zahn. Um, it's basically a LARPer movie come to life where uh, a evil succubus is released and starts killing off all of these LARPers. And it's up to Ryan Cotain and his friends to stop her. And uh, so. Joe Lynch is the one that directed this, and Joe Lynch does, is part of the awesome um, Holliston people. Uh, they uh, with it, it, he's just really hilarious, and he's a big, goofy, awesome geek. And he made this hilarious R-rated horror movie that's a comedy as well, and it has Peter Dinklage in armor. Okay, and he's out there kicking asses a lot. Okay, wait. Now, I just want to make sure. Now, you said that they were LARPing. So this is the live-action role-play type yes. people. that They dress up. They go out into caves and they cast sp- – that kind of thing. Yes. What, what What's the line? The Thunderball, Thunderball or whatever? What's – oh, God. Magic Missile. Magic Missile. That's it. <laughs> so anyway, you run around yelling Magic Missile. And they actually dress up like they're – you know, I'm a knight. I'm dressed like a knight. I'm a wizard. That kind of thing. Wow. And the, oh, my God. The trailer was flipping awesome the the panel was hilarious because the gal who plays the succubus um she like i i I guess her brain shut off because she spoiled the ending of the film 
in, a, in Hall H for 10,000 people. And it was one of these moments that I wish I'd, I'd videotaped it because Peter Dinklage is sitting next to her and he does the stewie head. He does this turn and he oh, looks at her. The upside down face. Yeah, there. and he looks at her like, what the F? <laughs> and, and, she, and, and Joe Lynch is looking at her like, what the F? What the F? <laughs> and she's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. So anyway. Wow. Yeah, that was the panel. <laughs> and, and everybody in the audience was like, you heard everybody just go, what the F? <laughs> were, were there any pens stuck in eyes? or That was that same Comic-Con. Oh, it was. It was. That was the same Comic-Con where the bicking happened. The bicking. I'm surprised. I'm surprised it didn't happen to her. I'm really. But anyway, so what happened with this movie was it, it got tied up. Something occurred where it was never released. Well, it finally got picked up by a company called Entertainment One. And it has go, it's going to be distributed in North America, probably direct to DVD. The only problem is uh, that this um, the movie may not be the movie that Joe Lynch wants it to be because it sounds like his full cut may have been cut. And that's sad because Joe Lynch has the type of humor that you and I both love, that just slapstick, bloody, ridiculous humor. And, um, yeah, it's kind of sucky that it may not be what we wanted. And if you go on Twitter, if you follow Joe on Twitter, he's kind of said that, that he doesn't think it's going to be his cut of the film. So that sucks. So but who, who's cutting it? Is it the? I, I don't know. Uh, it's saying that, that there's an edited version. I'm guessing it may have been the studio or the backers or, or that had final cut on it. Uh, and that got, they took his version and, and changed it. So I'm, it, it's one of those sad things where a great movie was made and, and, and thanks to red tape and, you know, the machine. It, it, money. And money. Yeah, exactly. So um, it was kind of sad that that's the case. But um, moving on, uh, James McAvoy is going from Charles Xavier to Dr. Frankenstein. That's interesting. Um, he there. I don't know if you've realized that there's always these weird uh, kind of waves of things that are released. And, and right now, you know, we've been talking about um, Guillermo del Toro doing his Frankenstein and he's wanting Benedict Cumberbatch to play Dr. Frankenstein in his version. Well, there's another version coming and James McAvoy has now been cast as Dr. Frankenstein in this other, um, in this other version of the story. And this is a Paul Magu- I can never say his name, right? McGugan. Um, directed version and this one already has daniel radcliffe um as igor believe it or not so <laughs> harry a, that's interesting too i know right so that's gonna be that's gonna be off the wall um so, so no monster yet just the uh the doctor and igor uh, it's doctor and igor which is kind of strange isn't it yeah kind of backwards um moving on uh the tommy knockers miniseries is getting remade as another miniseries on nbc how come I don't remember the original one? Jimmy Smith was in it. Oh, he's in everything. He's in everything. Um, Bell Organa. Um, so that's happening, as well as MTV may finally be getting their um, Scream television series off the ground. Um, and that is Jay Betty and Dan Dworkin, who have been signed on to write it, um, and they actually have worked on a couple of things that you guys may have heard of. The event, which was a very... It was, short. it was a short event. It was a short event. Revenge, which is still going on, and Criminal Minds, which I, I believe is still going on as well. Yes, it is. Um, which I find amazing. Uh, anyway... It's, it's a good show. It's a good show, but they've had some issues, one of which was Mandy Patinkin. That, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and funnily enough, I think Criminal Minds has had at least two of the original Scream cast members on it. I think Jamie Kennedy played a cannibal in it. Do you know why Mandy Patinkin left that show? No, what happened with that? I I actually know this. You know this? I know this. Because I think I remember vaguely, but go ahead. When he originally signed on for the show, he... I guess he didn't expect it to be as dark as it was. You know, a lot of their storylines went towards these horrific rapes and and homicides. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so what he said was, you know, after a while, it, it got to eat at his soul. And he said, I, you know, I, I just can't do it anymore. You know, I, ca- I can't do these storylines anymore. And he had to walk away. So I, I think maybe I'd, some people don't necessarily agree with how he did it, but I think we can all kind of uh, understand why he did it. Well, basically, he just walked away on the show, too. Right. That, the ending was him just getting in a car and leaving, right? That's, I think that's, be- they- that's because he had alienated most of the production staff and they didn't want to film with him. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. I mean, a lot of people say he's a, not a nice dude, but... He's an actor. I watched him on the Princess Bride making, or in the, on the DVD, on the extras, and my God, he's crying. Yeah, I, I think he, you know... He's, he's a really emotional guy. I think that's the problem, is he's a very emotional man, and that's why he's such a good actor, but also he's got to be more careful in what he chooses to work on. Because- right. Exactly. You know, that, I think that was some of the, the complaint was that why would you go on an FBI procedural if you didn't expect it to kind of, you know, follow these CSI type storylines? Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I respect him for doing that. Like, like I said, I, it's not, I wasn't there. It's not me. But Plus, you got to love a guy that runs on stage on David Letterman and sings Big River with um, Tony Randall and, <laughs> and then just leaves. He runs on, sings, and takes off because he has to get to his Yeah, he had to get somewhere else, right? Yeah. He had to go to his matinee of the show. That's right. <laughs> um, so also, kind of funnily enough, uh, everything is connected. Um, Lars Mickelson is the brother of Mads Mikkelsen, who you may know as Hannibal on NBC's Hannibal. Lars is now going to be the bad guy for Sherlock. What bad guy? Um, He is going to play Charles Augustus Magnuson. And um, it's kind of a take on a different name of a character from a a short home story called... uh, the Adventure of Charles Augustus Milverton. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. He looks really, in, he kind of looks like a weird cross of Mark Gaddis and Mads Mikkelsen. If you see a picture of him, we're going to have it on uh, Fangirl. But it's it's he looks really interesting and very intelligent. And apparently he's a very, very naughty blackmailer. Ooh. Yeah, and still we don't know how the hell Holmes lived through his jumping off a building. Um, but um, we're going to find out because he's still alive. <laughs> so they got to tell us in like the first 10 minutes how he lived, I guess. And, <laughs> During uh, the credits. Right. Um, do, 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 I lived. You know, um, anyway, uh, the, uh, the first episode, it's funnily enough, is going to be airing on Halloween this year. Um, October 31st with uh, the first episode is called The Empty Hearse. Probably a nod to the fact that Sherlock's not dead. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I'm very excited about this. I can't wait. And also I think the rumor I have heard that they're going to flash forward and that um, they're going to figure out that John Watson has married um, in the interim. Holmes has been gone for like two years. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So there you go. Um, really quickly, some of the cool things and bad things that happened at Comic Con. The biggest bad thing: uh, the crowds were massive. This was the biggest show. There was like three hundred thousand people there, and I was not kidding when I said I could have died on Wednesday when that happened. Um, I actually got slammed into the wall, and then I managed to pry away and got slammed into a security guard who was a little girl. And, yeah, she wasn't much help. Um, but did she cushion your fall? That's all that matters. Well, I kind of slammed into her and slammed her into a wall after that because they kept pushing on me. Um, so some of the good things that happened. Tom Hilston showed up as Loki and took over Hall H, which was amazing. Uh that was, that was I, I don't know how he sneaked in there with uh, – he had his oh, Loki gear on, right? I can tell you exactly how he snuck into Comic-Con. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, at the airport, they made him wear a Boba Fett helmet. <laughs> when he got off the plane, they put a Boba Fett helmet on his head to walk around San Diego Airport until he got into his car. And then they snuck him in, and he put on all his Loki gear and walked out on stage. Um, so, yeah, Tom Hiddleston, Loki. It's up on FangirlMag.com. But For- he, didn't have, he didn't have, like, the cape on and everything. It was- yeah, he had all of it. 
And just the mask. Oh, no, no, no. Just the mask. Just the mask as as Boba Fett. Just the mask. Um, Hugh Jackman, I saw him. Didn't know it was him. But he walked around Comic-Con as Wolverine. And no one stopped him. How did you you not know it was him? I didn't know. I I didn't know it was him. He was by himself. (laughs) He was just walking around as Wolverine. And no one figured it was really Hugh Jackman. First, I wouldn't. I thought, damn, man, you were the best Wolverine I've ever seen. Um, but it really was Hugh Jackman. And no one thought it was him because he was so short, according to them, even though Wolverine's supposed to be short. And everyone complained that Hugh Jackman was too tall to play him. Well, how tall is Hugh Jackman? He's a little bit taller than you. I would say five nine, five ten, maybe. He might even be six feet. I mean... He wasn't super tall, but he was—he wasn't like a midget. So I, I don't know. It, I found it funny, and then you know, whole, the, everybody was walking around. Now these guys, you got—you got—you never will know who you're talking to now because Cranston was walking around as Heisenberg, Jackman <laughs> was walking around as Wolverine, um, and then Matt Smith was walking around as Bart Simpson. Now you, you have to. I saw this that uh, Brian Cranston actually had the Heisenberg, the bald Heisenberg mask on. That he yeah, yeah, and, and, and then he walked up on stage with it and take it off, and then started making out with it. Yeah, they started making out with it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, also the big news was the announcement of the Batman Superman movie, which caused everybody in the building to like erupt in. Orgasm, I guess, would be a good word for it. <laughs> and the fact that they had the guy, um, I can never remember the actor's name, and I apologize for that, but he was in Dollhouse, um, and he was also the general in uh, Man of Steel. They had him come out and read that wonderful dialogue from Frank Miller's um, The Dark Knight Returns, which is where he defeats Superman. And he tells him, I want you to remember this, Clark. I want you to remember whose hand it is around your neck and who beat you. And he does because he's got this great voice, this guy. And um, when that showed up on screen with the Superman logo and then the bat symbol behind it, everybody just peed themselves right there in Hall H. They had to clean it up. (laughs) I mean, that was... That's how DC manages to trump Marvel <laughs> in one way. They they did that. Um, the other thing that um, happened, which is pretty damn amazing, and I'm going to have the video up of the press conference on Fangirl here um, this week. Uh, I'm having to catch up with all this stuff because there was so much. Um, X-Men Days of Future Past had almost every, it may have been every cast member show up on stage. And I'm inclu- that includes eight-month pregnant Halle Berry. That includes Hugh Jackman. The porcupine guy from the third movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> we had that didn't occur. <laughs> it's timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Um, uh, Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, Peter Dinklage, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Brian Singer was there, um, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Nicholas Holt. Just everybody, everybody was there on stage. It was freaking amazing. And it was very hard to film, but I did it um, because I had to get all these people in one shot. And I think I cut off a couple of them, but you won't mind because I got the main people up there. <laughs> <laughs> the important people, damn it. Um, then there was also, uh, you know, we had Loki that he was the um uh Hiddleston was the only one from Thor 2 that was there this year sadly um but what was really amazing was the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy was there and they'd only been filming for a week and a half ah yes and Cartman's the coon is one of the <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy I noticed Rocket, Rocket Raccoon, Raccoon has yeah. been a part of this for a while I thought this was supposed to be a joke the Rocket no. Raccoon no right. no no okay. Okay. No. This is the same company that created Howard the Duck. Which I, I also thought was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> but Rocket Raccoon is badass. So, and the rumor is, and they still haven't, I don't think they have announced it yet. And someone asked um, James Gunn my question, which is, are you or are you not having David Tennant be the voice of Rocket Raccoon? Because you should. Um, 
I guess that's a demand. That's not really a question. Uh, but everybody was there, and that was amazing because Lee Pace was there, Zoe Saldana, um, Benicio del Toro, uh, Chris Pratt, who's like my new hero now. That guy is amazing. Um, Rooker, uh, Michael Rooker, um, just everybody was there, and Damon Honson was there, and he said this beautiful story about his son. Um, from what I gathered was his son told him he wanted to be Batman or Superman and, but he couldn't because they were, they were white and there, he didn't really have <laughs> now, now you laugh. I, I do. This is the truth. Uh, and he, he felt bad because his son felt like, um, he couldn't be these characters. There was no hero for him. So the character he's playing in this is very important to him because of this. He's giving his son a role model to look up to. I just and, laugh because didn't he see the whiz? I mean, we all saw. Oh, it. you're gonna get us in trouble. Oh, I'm not. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. Y- your your card can only be played. So <laughs> I can play this card. I can't play this card, but he can. I That's can't. How it works. Um. So the other thing that was really cool that you could get done at Comic Con this year was, um, Predator 3D is coming out on Blu-ray and. It's the first time they've ever retrofitted a film for 3D Blu-ray release that wasn't re-released in theaters, as far as I can tell. I mean, especially something like Predator, which is a classic. And um, so what they did was they allowed you, if you wanted to pre-order the movie, you could get a 3D scan done of your face and your head, and they would they're going to make you an action figure of a predator holding your severed head with the, the spinal cord hanging out the back and your face going, ah, um, and I had one done and I'm supposed to be getting it in the mail at some point soon. I can't wait to take pictures. Of it. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. So they, they used a 3d printer to make up this action figure, right? Yes. Yes. And, um, so what you did, you went there and you had this horrified or shocked or scared expression on your face and they took your photo and then you got to see it on on the on the computer, and you could add the hair to it because you're bald, and you just add the hair that you you want there, and color the hair and all of that. And then they um, that predator is going to be the same predator for each figure, but it's your head that he's holding, and that's pretty damn cool. So you have to put that up on your site so we can. see Oh, this. that's definitely going up on my site, and um, I'm also going to be including it in Horror Hound because uh, it's it's one of those things, man, that everybody has to see that this was something you could do, and I think you're going to see more and more of this as as the 3D printer stuff becomes more prevalent, um, in the uh, in the industry because they were also doing. They they told me while I was at the booth, if you went down the way, you could have your own Star Trek action figure made with you in the in a uniform, and the same process. They scan your face and then they they print it up and send it to you. Like from any era, Star Trek or? Um, I think so. I think it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So with the three D printing stuff coming um, more and more, that's that's happening. Uh. The other really cool thing, um, some of the stuff that you go to Comic-Con for is on that convention floor when it's not so crowded that you want to kill yourself. If you can get to this stuff, um, typically what I end up doing is I wait until Sunday to go do like the, the photo the photo opportunities things. But this year, Sunday was like a typical Saturday. It was so crowded. It was, it was nuts. Um, but the one thing that I always do, and they always are um, one of the best places to go for, for really cool photos and to get to look at some really neat stuff, are the Walking Dead's booth. Um, that Walking Dead booth. Uh, last year it was Michonne's pets, so you could be one of her pets, um, uh, one of the zombies that's chained to her. Uh, the year before that, it was, I believe, Merle on the... Um, the, the rooftop, I think that's what it was, um, chained there. So they had an actual re- reproduction of Michael Rooker on the roof um, being chained to the, the pipe. And the year previous was the, um, the – it was a farmhouse, the farmhouse that Rick looks into where he gets his horse. And you, it's the couch and the people with their head blown off that they killed themselves in front of the television. Um, so this year – That's a creep show. 
<laughs> What's his name? Jamie. Oh, it's Stephen King. I can never remember the character. Oh, that's horrible, Jessica. <laughs> I don't remember it, but I expected you to. Ah, oh, Jamie Gunn. I always want to say Jamie Gunn, but Jamie Gunn. But I don't think that's right. Oh God, I'm horrible. I'm going to be lynched at Horror Hound Weekend. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm I'm blanking. Uh, the uh, this year though, what was really cool? They kind of went all out this year. They recreated the prison, and um, the they had the yard, they had the guard tower, and up there was Rick looking down. Um, this wax effigy of Rick. And then they actually had actors dressed as the zombies in the courtyard, actually scaring people and like walking back and forth. And you could go in and take a photo with them and you could uh, take your photo with them. And then once you had your photo taken and they gave you like prop fake um, tire irons, so you could act like you're stabbing them. And they actually went so far as taking people's shoes off to act like they're going to bite their feet. (laughs) <laughs> it was they, these guys were awesome. I, I was like, is this a TSA or what? <laughs> and then once you had that done, you went back through this hallway and you entered the governor's um secret room and there was the aquarium full of zombie heads and behind the seat where you're setting you get to sit down is Penny his daughter as the zombie in her little cage room. And it just was Awesome. This is one of the coolest, coolest uh, set pieces that they've done so far. I mean, they're going to really have to hump to top this. I don't know how they're going to do it. Uh, so that was really, really fun. And I have some photos from that that I took um, at the show. So it was really great. Um, so Comic-Con this year rocked it. Um, I'm going to have more stuff up on the site as I uh, get to post it. Um, but right now, I want to head into our interviews with the Doctor Who gang. And so you're going to hear coming up uh, Mark Gaddis, Stephen Moffat, David Bradley, Jenna Coleman, and Matt Smith. And um, with that, here are our Doctor Who interviews. I hope you like it. hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you again, Troy, for joining me. Thanks for having me again. And um, with that, um, let's go into our interviews. So, what do you see as the arc of your doctor at, when when this is all over? Because it seemed like Eccleston's was redemption, Tennant's was sort of loss. What do you see that your story arc as the doctor sort of was the theme? Lunacy, madman in a box. You know, it, it was. Um, I hope he sort of came in with a sort of a, a crash and a wallop and a wham, and I think he'll probably go out in the same way. I mean, I don't know what Stephen's going to write. I, very difficult to sort of articulate the whole journey in one sentence, but grow. So, what can you tell us about the 50th at all? It's in 3D. <laughs> Absolutely didn't squat. I'm David Tennant, John Hurt, Billy Piper. You know, it's it's an exploration and it's a celebration at the same time. And I think Stephen has done something ingenious with the story and. and you know, he, he's exploring and revealing new things about the character, but, you know, hopefully it's uh, the extravaganza that we all want. So, Jenna, one question for you I had was, she was such a mystery for so long. How is it to go into a character that you don't really know that much about, or did Stephen tell you about her ahead of time? Because we were all like... Who is she? You know, yeah. for so long. I, we were. I never knew. I never. It was interesting for us to play it like that, actually, because I never knew. I knew I was uh, these different people, but I never knew why. So for me, it was a case of just playing these different characters, kind of separately from each other, and I didn't need to know anything about about it. And so it was a nice. It was a nice way to play it because I kind of wasn't overloaded with information. Um, and then it was a nice reveal for us both to pick up the scripts and, and figure it all out at the end. And I think it was a really good good payoff. But what is lovely now is is that this mystery is kind of lifted and it's taken Car and the Doctor to a new place and a new closeness so it's, it's nice to be on set without without us both like what's your deal yeah. <laughs> what's going on yeah. so it, you know we've gone off in a different direction now which is cool. thank you Mark Gaddis and David Bradley so you're already working with the BBC so closely, so you have access to, to the goodies. Is, how, how much research did you have to do for this to, to put it together, and what did you get to see that you were surprised to find? 
Well, I knew it. I mean, it's, it, to me, it's a story I've grown up with. I've always known about this as a Doctor Who fan. And, and, but actually, what I wanted to do was sort of get to the root of it, because you, like a lot of things, that they can become like urban legends. You think, is that actually true? I've just grown up with that story. So I, I did interviews with a lot of people from the time, and... And then a lot of research, the people who've gone. Uh, and I did turn up a few things. I mean, uh, mostly after 50 years, people have told the same stories a lot. But it was nice to, to do it knowing that this project was happening. That sort of threw a different light on it. Uh, and it was really fascinating to, to get people's first-hand accounts of Bill Hartnell and also the uh, just the whole process, and the BBC at the time, you know. Uh, there are a few things I wish I'd been able to put in, but it's, it, it is about you know the focus. That's the thing, uh, and, and and it's there are a few very important people who are just not in it, but you can't do that. Uh, otherwise, it just becomes a documentary. And now we're going to have a new doctor. Uh, it's like it's a jumping on point, as 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 Doctor Who is every few years. There's a, a little moment where you can just say, well, I'll start here. Then. Start with David. <laughs> But going back to the, the TARDIS and the console, which uh, there's, there's a little bit in the film about this, when he, the set was late, being built, it was all very last minute. And it's easy to imagine that the whole thing arrived fully formed because they knew they had a success on their hands. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, uh, the film's really about all, uh, the fact that the difficulty and all the different personalities involved and the fact that it nearly didn't happen. But he, um, in rehearsals, uh, he, he makes a fuss about about all the different controls on the console and nobody's thought to describe each one and what they do and he recognised that he said children are, are, are cleverer than you think they, they'll know if I press that button this week and I press um, that to open the doors and uh, if the next week uh, I might press the same button to, to blow us all up and, and kids will <laughs> spot that so you ha he, he had to know exactly what he, the function of each button Lever was, and uh, he was, you know, quite fastidious about that. And, and yeah, I mean, some some people might have said, "Oh, he's a little bit over fussy," but he was clever enough to know that uh, the kids spot these kind of things. You know, these inconsistencies. So you can't uh, you can't afford to patronise them and say, "Oh, they won't notice." And I, th I think uh, that's what he found difficult was when. As, as the years went by and the production changed and people would come in and, and, and he by that stage he knew what it was his show and his part and he became very proprietorial about it. Mm. David, um, what does it mean to you to be sort of basically an honorary doctor? I mean, what, what did you grow up with? Having a favorite, or did you? Like <laughs> I, I I didn't have a particular favorite. I was kind of I. I I still remember I just I accepted the fact that it was a different doctor, and uh, and I, I saw quite a lot of the early ones. And well, I remember Hartnell certainly, and uh, I was sort of in my teens, late teens, I think. And um, and then uh, I remember them all really, but without watching every episode, I would kind of like just sometimes miss one or two. But I, was, I always kept in touch with it. You know. What was your impression of Hartnell when you watched him? He doesn't do impressions. <laughs> <laughs> it's rather bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not only was he a superb character, actually. I mean, at the time, I, I, I saw this Sporting Life when it first came out, and um, Brighton Rock, and I, I, I watched that again recently, and I thought, wow, what, a, what an assured, brilliantly uh, quick-witted actor he was, and inventive, and and how different he was in those those two films particularly. Uh, you said he plays someone quite older than himself and vulnerable in this sporting life. And, and there was this rather dangerous guy in um, in Brighton Rock. You wouldn't mess with him. And, uh, and it was clear that he was, uh, later on, he was in a, a, a comedy series called The Army Game, which was very successful. But now when I look at it again, I thought, God, it makes me cringe because this came on our screens after Sergeant Bilko mm. and you know and that was so fantastic and funny and uh, and, and, and the, the armor game was I mean like the Michael Meglin character was a kind of Bilko yes, um, yeah. kind of sharp card sharp guy and, 
but and I, I could understand his frustration at being in this series for about five years or yeah. something. Playing this, the one character in it that didn't get any laughs because he was like the authority straight, figure, yeah. you know, the straight man and the sergeant major. And um, I've got a picture. Carry on. I've got another picture you must see okay. from, the, from, the, from the army game. And he, he I think he. he the, the praise he got and the recognition he got for his film performances, I think he, he, he thought it would lead to bigger and better things. And then being stuck in the series and then being asked to do a, a series for kiddies, you know, and, and, and being created when he first met um, Verity and uh, Warris, he thought these are just kids with a silly sci-fi idea and, uh, and, the, and these... And, and then I think people generally were cynical about the Daleks and uh, who's going to be interested in dustbins with a bath plunger on the front, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and he was kind of reluctant, but um, once, he, once he got the part and after the first disastrous pilot was scrapped, he wanted to play it lighter and get more fun out of it. And I think once, once he... Once he got that element of the character, he embraced it fully and, and just enjoyed the fact that children all over the country were, you know, were, were into this. They love, they love Here is Stephen Moffat. So, um, once the regeneration happens, it'll be your third Doctor, basically, that you've created. No, it won't be my second. Well, you've added... John Hurt. John Hurt. Oh, okay, all right. That's three. <laughs> Fair enough. It counts. So what is the process of creating a new doctor for you? What do you go through? Is, does the do actor you know, it, choose this, the personality when you choose the, the actor? actor? It, is, it is the actor. Um, the doctor on paper, to a greater extent than people realize, is just the same all the time. Um, it, you know, with one or two catchphrases here and there that happen to evolve, uh, you write the doctor the same, and you give it to hopefully a brilliant actor. Uh, and, and, and they take it in their direction. Um, so, uh, the, uh, I remember when I was casting Matt, I got hold of all the scripts uh, of the first season of Tom Baker. And I was looking at it thinking, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same part. It's just that he was played by Tom Baker. Tom Baker makes it different. Matt Smith makes it different. So it's, it's driven by that. You really, the important thing is that you believe it's the same person. It, it's inside you. Um, rather than that you're creating a different character. He's not a different character. He's exactly the same person, but he's, uh, he's, he's changed his face. And therefore his personality a bit. But then your personality changes when you put on a different jacket, doesn't it? So imagine putting on a different body. 